Hey, uh, good morning, City Light. Uh, it's good to be here with you this morning. Uh, we doing well? Are we awake? We here? Sort of. I'm not sure. That's all right. Hopefully you'll be awake by the end of the sermon rather than asleep. But we're, we're just what we're shooting for. That's the trajectory. As Eric said, I get to joy serving as a pastor in City Light South Side. One of the things he didn't mention is in that situation, the first rule, the number one rule, is you don't keep the pastor that's there on staff when you go. And so they broke that number one rule, and they kept me along for the ride. And it's been just such a joy to see Jesus redeem and to bring life. The first four years we were in Emerson, we didn't experience one baptism. Um, And in the last two years, we've had 18 baptisms. And so, amen. It's, It's just been fun seeing God redeem and care about a community that often is overlooked. And so... Uh, it's just such a joy to be here with you this morning. About two months ago, Eric asked, maybe three, I'm not too sure. He said, hey, would you want to preach in Council Bluffs? I said, yeah, man, absolutely. Like, I, love, I love you guys. You said yes to a risk that didn't make sense on paper, right? Like, go plant a church in a town of 450. And so I just, I just want to give back. I said, let's do it. We'll talk about the multiplication of disciples, the church planting. Like, this is going to be fun. Let's do it. What, Eric, what do you got in mind? And he says, how about Matthew 19, uh, verses 1 through 12? I know some of you guys are biblical scholars. You got them memorized in your head. I said, well, let me see what the text is. And so I opened up the ESV Bible, and the top of the heading is teaching on divorce. <laughs> and I said, uh, how about you or Dougie take that one? And I'll talk about the multiplication of disciples or something, right? Um, and, and so as I prayed about it and I thought about it and worked through the text, you know, it, the, this text is so much more rich and deep than merely marriage and divorce. What this text is about, it's about kingdoms colliding. What we see is Jesus, the uncommon king, standing in the gap for the oppressed and standing up for the oppressed. What we see is Jesus building up and sustaining his people in this passage. And so I said, yeah, let's do it. I'll, I'll come up and we'll open up Matthew 19 together. So my hope for us today is that we see that marriage is God's work, not just in the past tense, but in the present tense, right here today. God is building up and sustaining life right here, right now. Think of it, think of it like this. Um, we, live in, we live in a culture that we value building. We've been doing it since we were kids. We had Legos, building blocks, and we had those, um, black, those uh, wood blocks. You built them up, and so we, we value building. We, we understand it. We get it. We have, um, think of our roads, like we have roads all throughout America, except in Emerson, we have a lot of minimum maintenance roads, and that just, like you don't take a minivan down one of those on a rainy day, learn that the hard way, um, don't do that. There's a story there that I'm not sharing here, right? That will get worked out in counseling. So um, things just pop in your head sometimes as you're preaching, so no, I should not do to share it. Um, Imagine if we took our roads and we just, we built them and walked away from them, right? Like some of you guys are like, man, I don't, I don't have to imagine, like I live on that road. Like the, the county, the city has stopped maintaining my road a long time ago. I grew up in North Omaha and I, I swear, um, Omaha is the pothole capital of the world. Like it, you don't build a road and walk away from it. You sustain it, right? God has built and is sustaining marriage today. And so my hope for us is that we get to see in Matthew 19 how God is at work in our life today. All right? How are we? We doing good so far? We following along? Okay, let's open up to Matthew 19. I want to read verses 1 through 3. 
Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? All right, so let's set our scene here. What we have is Jesus, who's been teaching and healing. So much so that there's this large crowd that is following him. And there's this group called the Pharisees. These are the religious leaders of Jesus' day. Now, their presence in this situation isn't out of line. In fact, in some ways, you could argue they should be there. You see, it was believed that the Savior would perform certain tests or do certain things, like the Savior would resurrect someone from the dead, or the Savior would heal a leper. And that's why in Matthew 8, after Jesus heals the man of leprosy, he sends him to the temple. And he says, go to the temple priest. Essentially, what Jesus is saying is, I am the Savior sent by God to save the world from their sins. These Pharisees, rather than affirming that, are trying to stop that from becoming reality. They're battling Jesus, and we begin to see kingdoms colliding. Because for them, that means they're no longer the leaders that they are. Instead, a new king has arrived. A new kingdom is being ushered in. And so they ask Jesus a gotcha question. It's a a passive-aggressive attack. And so they say... Is it a, can you divorce your wife for any cause? And the reason they ask this question is because in Jesus' day, divorce was very, very prominent. In some ways, you could say more prominent than today. And they know people's hearts are tender towards this topic. And all Jesus has to say is one wrong word, and this crowd will turn on him. And so they're hoping by asking this question, Jesus' ministry will falter and fail. This is an attack on God's Word. So let's see how Jesus responds in verse 4. He answered and he says, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So what Jesus does is he takes his answer and he anchors it in creation. He actually quotes two passages, Genesis chapter 1, which I want to read here, and then also from Genesis chapter 2, it says this, in 1 Genesis chapter 20, excuse me, chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. It's the first part to Jesus' answer. Chapter 2, verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. So Jesus takes the definition of marriage all the way back to God. So marriage is God's. God has this perfect intention for marriage, and what the Pharisees are asking is, can we dissolve or break God's intention? Jesus takes his answer a little bit further, and he says this, In verse 6, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Now listen to this, church. Read this with me. What therefore God has joined together. Do we see that? God's the one doing the work. Let man not separate. 
And so essentially what Jesus is saying is God's work is to bring people together and divorce is to break that. Now, I want to pause here for a second, just kind of step back. Because I know some of you in this room have experienced the pain of divorce. In fact, I think if we were to raise hands, everybody in here knows somebody who has gone through it. And what this passage isn't about is putting more shame and guilt on those who have experienced that grief. Actually, one of God's common graces for us is that we feel like we have a check and engine light in our car, whether you can ignore it or you can accept it. When our check engine light comes on, we don't say, oh my gosh, mechanics must not exist, right? I hope we don't. When grief sets in our heart, sometimes we say, where is God? And the fact that God has left us with the ability to feel is like that check engine light saying there's something wrong, something broken. So what's the solution? So what Jesus is doing in this passage is he's standing in the gap. He was attacked in this passage, and he is helping us to understand God's intention so that when we experience the brokenness, we can say, there's the solution. Does that make sense? If you're going to fix the car, you've got to know what it was created for. So Jesus begins to unpack what the role of marriage is for us by saying it's God working for us. And then the, the Pharisees don't like Jesus' response, so they continue, right? So Jesus gave them a good answer. So let's ask him a second gotcha question. In seven, they said to him, then why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Do you see that word command? God didn't command anyone to get a divorce. The passage that they're quoting is from Deuteronomy 24, verses 1. It says this, When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, hold on to that word indecency, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of the house. That word indecency was used liberally to harm and hurt women in that culture. There was a popular teacher who actually taught that you could divorce your wife if she put too much salt on the food. You could divorce your wife if she burned the bread. You could divorce your wife if she let her hair down. You could divorce your wife if she talked to another man. That word indecency was used liberally to allow for and excuse divorce. Jesus is speaking into the context where probably the majority of people have been impacted or influenced by divorce. There's a passage in Scripture that I think will help us understand the context of Jesus' culture of that day. There's a story of a woman at the well, John 4. And it's not on the screen, I just want you to listen. And there's this woman who comes to Jesus in the middle of the day. She's by herself in the middle of the day because of the guilt and the shame. As this conversation unfolds, it's revealed that she's had five divorces. Church, five divorces. Can you imagine how much that would hurt? Five divorces. Now, oftentimes, when I hear John 4 preach, what I hear is she was an adulterer. 
And so the reason she has had five divorces was because she cheated on her husband. Church, that's the same argument the Pharisees are making for divorce. It's where you label the the victim as the one who's the oppressor. You guys know the story of Jesus' birth? A few of you? One or two of you? Okay. I want to make sure it's common because it's not on the screen, right? So sometimes you're speaking into something where people don't understand, all right, and they're sitting there confused. Mary conceived miraculously, right? And after she conceived, she went to her husband-to-be, which is essentially her husband of the day, Joseph, and she said, Joseph, I'm with child. And Joseph is a normal guy, right? He knows how babies are made. He's not buying into the conceived thing. Miraculously, right? I mean, he's not naive. And, And at the very least, Mary could be honest with him that she committed. Maybe then he could accept her back. But he does something that's incredible in that passage is he quietly seeks to divorce her. And the text says he was an honorable man because he quietly sought to divorce her rather than have her stoned to death. So we go back to the woman in John 4 who's had five divorces. If it was adultery, she might find one husband, maybe one that's honorable, maybe two. No way you find five guys. If she committed adultery five times, she's dead. She probably burned the bread one time. She maybe let her hair down. Perhaps she didn't sweep the floor well enough. These are actual teachings of the day. And so Jesus, the uncommon king, is standing in the gap for her. He's the king who's bringing in this new kingdom where John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman, doesn't happen. Instead, he's saying God has created and formed you so that you can experience the work of God in your daily life. Could you imagine living under the weight of having to be perfect? If I burn the bread today, I might not have a place to live tomorrow. If I let my hair down, I might not have a place to live tomorrow. This is what the Pharisees are trying to hold on to. And this is what Jesus is pushing back on. In Ephesians chapter 5, we see what marital roles are. I'm going to read into this. Ephesians chapter 5 says this. It says, husband, excuse me, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, we might as well jump into the deep end. We're already here, right? So let's just go all the way. Now, some of us, we see that word submit, and you're like, that's it. I'm checking out. But ladies, I want to be honest with you. As I read this passage, I don't think you have the harder role. Just stay with me here for a second. Let's read verse 25. It says, husbands... Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Men, you see that? Do you see what our role is? How did Jesus love the church? He loved her perfectly. Like that, that like I'm reading that, I'm thinking, I can't love my wife perfectly. We literally just argued this morning because of me. Like, I couldn't find the keys, and it was her fault that I couldn't find them. So wake up. I don't care if it's 5.30 a.m. I need the keys right now. I need Jesus to work in my life to help me to be a good husband. What else did Jesus do for his bride? Church, he sacrificed himself for his bride. Jesus hung on the cross so that his bride might be redeemed. I don't want to sacrifice my life. Like, I like my career. I like titles. 
And so when I think about, man, am I making sacrifices for my wife? I begin to think, you know what? Honestly, not to the extent that Jesus is. Like, I, I need Jesus to help me to be the husband that he wants me to be. And so we begin to understand if she burns the bread, so what? Eat it. Pretend like it tastes good. Right? If she puts too much salt on it, grow a taste for it. Right? That's what Jesus wants. He wants us to have this relationship where we can have the comfort of knowing this person will never abandon you just like our king will never abandon us. That's the point of marriage is to give yourself to somebody such that you can trust in them. And so Jesus is laying out the roles. He's saying God has created something that was perfect and you guys are ruining it. Not only are you ruining it, but you're excusing your sin. Instead of allowing Scripture to reveal your sin, you're changing the words that God had said to justify your sin against people and saying God commanded divorce when actually He gave you an allowance because of your hardness of heart. Even there, there's God's grace. Because He does say you can for divorce. You can because of adultery. But that's not what God intended. God didn't create something broken. He's simply acknowledging the brokenness that exists. You know, one of the things I love about teaching, the one thing I love about preaching, and some of you guys maybe experienced this, is when you're teaching on something and you tell suddenly, like, man, they, they got it. Like, you're, you're talking, it's over and over, and they're still not getting it, and all of a sudden they're like, yeah, I, I, you're like, okay, you get it. Like, I know you got it, right? Like, they're, they're with me. They're tracking with me. So Jesus is laying out what marriage is. And his disciples, they get it. I want to show you their response. Their response is both humorous and then tragic. Look at this, church. Read this with me. Then the disciples said to him, in verse 10, if such is the case of a man with his wife, look at this, church, it is better not to marry. So Jesus has laid it out there. This is God's intention. And here you have these men who are primarily young, maybe even teenagers, and they're primarily single, and they're like, man, if that's what marriage is, I don't want nothing to do with it. Right? That's the seriousness of which God approaches it. And so it would be better if you can't have that reverence and that commitment not to get married. And what I love about Jesus is he's seeing that on their face. Like, I can imagine the, this, they just went flush. And Jesus is seeing the response of his disciples, and in his grace, this uncommon king begins to speak into it. We're going we're gonna to read, Eric already joked about it, the word eunuchs. Now, I, I feel like I've done some pretty heavy lifting today, so I'm going to let Eric and Doug unpack for you what a eunuch is and how it happens. But when we read that word, what I want you to think of is a single person. Because a eunuch was a single person either by force or by choice. Okay? You follow me? We doing pretty good? How are we doing so far? Hurry up and get done because, you know, all right, we're going to keep going, though. I got, I got a lot. Like, I'm only halfway through. I'm kidding. I'm not. Some of you guys are worried. You're like, oh, my gosh. Like this. I'm not. We're, we're getting there. All right, I feel like we're moving in a pretty good clip. Verse 11. But he said to them, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. This is his grace, right? But he said to them, not everyone can receive this same, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs, remember I said just think single people, who have been so from birth, And there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. 
So Jesus is saying, you don't have to be marriage to impact the kingdom of God. Like Jesus doesn't wait to put you in the game until you get married. Like marriage isn't some higher status, all right? Church, we understand that. I spent about five years in the church being single. And in the church, what we tend to do is we tend to elevate unintentionally the status of marriage. Single people can accomplish just as much, if not more, for the kingdom of God. There is no better status. They're both good. God is at work in both of them to sustain both of them. So if you're single, you can impact the kingdom of God. That is God's grace. And I know some of you are single not by choice, but by men. But God is still at work in that. And so as I walk through this passage and I see a king who was attacked, I see a king who stood in the gap, who honestly said this is what God's intention is while acknowledging the brokenness we live in. I think to myself, what's the application? What's the application for here today? And there's three applications that I would say. The first one is if you're single, then it's God's grace is for you. If you're single, God can build and sustain your life. We see that. You don't have to be married to experience the grace of God. You don't have to be married to experience the redemption of God. Can we receive the message of an uncommon king that he came and lived and died for us? That he hung on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins? That is the message of this uncommon king. And so, single people, can you receive that? And for those of us who are married, can we receive the message of Jesus Christ? Wives, can you submit to your husband? I know it's hard. Some of you are like, you don't know him. He's a poor leader. Maybe that's God's grace in your life is to submit to poor leadership. Maybe he's a great leader and he points you to Jesus. But either way, married people, can you receive the message that Jesus has for you? God is still at work. The reason why Satan has attacked and will attack the institution of marriage is because it's the most common place to experience, not the most, one of the more common places to experience the work of God in our life but not the only place. And probably the third people I want to speak into, if I can. And I'm a pastor here, and maybe Eric's going to have some damage control to, pick, to, to repair here, and I hope not. Maybe I'll never come back here again and speak because of it. But I think some of us have used the definition of marriage in the same way that these Pharisees are using divorce to hurt the kingdom of God. We've used it to create a dividing line with us and them. That's never been God's intention. Marriage is a good thing. It's not meant to divide us from them. And so I would encourage you to repent of that. To come back to a a Savior who builds up and sustains. God is at work in our life, whether we're married or we're single. But marriage should never be a tool for destruction. Do we get that? Satan will always and has always attacked the institution of marriage. Because two broken people coming together, two sinful people, that is a recipe for division. That is a recipe for disaster. And yet somehow God can work in such a way to bring those people together. It's a beautiful thing, church. And so City Light, I would just ask you, can you receive the message that an uncommon king has for you today? He loves you. He cares for you. He's willing to fight for you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. I thank you, Lord, that you are a king. 
who is enthroned yet today. Your throne isn't empty. Instead, Lord, you, you're there. You're reigning. And so I praise you for that, Lord. I thank you by God's grace that you are helping me be a husband. I thank you by God's grace you give me an incredible wife who forgives daily. I thank you that I have an incredible wife who submits to poor leadership and that somehow you're able to work and keep us together. And so, Lord, I know there are people in here who have been hurt by divorce. It wasn't their choice, or maybe it was their choice. And I ask, Lord, in this moment, your grace would be sufficient, that they could feel the love of a father for them, that they could know that they are your son and your daughter, that you're willing to stand for them. The attack and the insult doesn't come against them, but against you. And so, Lord, I pray that as we stand to sing and to worship you, we would feel the presence of the Holy Spirit, that like the Samaritan woman, we can run away and just be so encouraged because we've come before the face of our Savior. We feel the protection of our King. Could we truly say you are an uncommon King at work in our lives, that you are building up and sustaining? Lord, we pray and we ask in Jesus' name.